Hello and welcome to Renovation, the media and film podcast with me, Richard Hello. Um, I'm just out on about having a lovely uh, walk in the rain in lovely Salisbury. It's been a really busy half-term week for me, actually. I uh, went up to the great city of Norwich to see some friends. And whilst there, I popped in to see a man called Pete Morgan, who is uh, the CEO, I think. Well, he runs Burning Shed Records. That's a label and distribution uh, company that specialises in art rock, prog rock, um, metal, all sorts of um, music, and is one of the few distribution companies, independent distribution companies in the country, that is actually growing despite the rise in people listening to music through streaming. It was a really fascinating interview, and that will be coming up shortly. But before I do, I just wanted to tell you a little story. So I was, um, how old was I in 1994? I was 19, and I was walking past a newsagent in Folkestone, where I grew up. And I popped in, and I saw a magazine called The Wire. I'd never seen it before, and um, it focuses on kind of experimental electronic and music and jazz music and they had a free cd and i thought oh free music I'll, I'll buy that and um there were some tracks on the cd by a band called no man who i'd never heard of before and it had um, a track called angel gets caught in the beauty trap it was about nine minutes long and I had never heard anything like it. And I just became transfixed by this band. Um, and it turns out the band um, is uh, mostly two uh, gentlemen called Tim Boness and Stephen Wilson, who some of you may know um, from his other band, uh, Porcupine Tree. And I just became obsessed with this band. And um, I went out and I bought the album that Angel Gets Caught in the Beauty Trap is from, which is called Flower Mouth. And that was one of my favourite albums for a very long time. In fact, it still is. I would probably put it as my number two behind Remaining Light by Talking Heads, No Man at number two, and number three, probably Homogenic by Bjork. But anyway, I digress. I just became obsessed with this band. They were, they were unusual. They, their music was a combination of um, electro-pop, it had some prog aspects to it, some improvisation, um, electronic, ambient. It just felt like they didn't actually care what genre they were working on. They just wanted to make interesting music. And that really appealed to me. I mean, I was already, by that stage, a huge David Byrne and Talking Heads fan. And so I was well-versed in artists not wanting to stick to one genre. And this, to me, seemed like a perfect fit. And so I wrote my first ever fan letter uh, to Tim Boness. Um, I found out the record label uh, at the time, and I wrote him a handwritten letter introducing myself. And then... A month or so goes by, and he replies. I mean, I was so excited. He um, hand-wrote this letter with a signed postcard, which I had um, requested. And um, we have 
kind of stayed in touch ever since. We sent a few letters uh, to each other, and then I remember getting one letter, and he says, um, no man have just gotten this thing called a website, and it's on the internet. You need to go and get yourself on the internet. Well, I knew of the internet in 94, um, but um, I, you know, I'd never actually used it. And so I was incredibly excited by, the, by this idea. And of course, No Man had one of the first kind of banned websites. And so it was quite revolutionary. And um, ever since then, you know, I've sent the occasional uh, message to Tim um, about music that I'm listening to. And they, they I mean, they're still recording. They released uh, an album um, recently called Love You to Bits. It's a kind of a, a prog disco concept album epic um totally unexpected um extremely different to anything they've done before although you can hear some of their earlier sounds in it but uh, tim has gone on to record several solo albums which again you know a huge range of different genres and um and different styles of music and so i was really enamored uh, with this band i still am and so um, when my uh, good friend Andy Futter recently uh, got a job with Burning Shed, I was like, oh, well, I would love to come and interview Pete for the podcast. So I did. And that interview is coming up right now. Pete Morgan and I run Burning Shed with Tim Boness and we've been going since 2001. Um, prior to that, I had a rehearsal studio and yeah. a recording studio and used to do duplication for bands and I also had a small record label which ran from about 1992 to 2001, which is when I swapped over yeah. to Burning Shed. So... On my other label, we did about 50 physical releases. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened was I was doing duplication for Tim. Yeah. Do you want me to go into the Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, love it. Yeah, we used to, I did, um, I was doing duplication for No Man, little CDRs of the um, radio sessions Mm -hmm. and um, CD, which you've probably got. Yeah, I think I've got a couple of CDRs. From yeah, the old, you know, from the original patches. Yeah, yeah. I used to make the, the discs for Tim. Yeah, he had. We'd made. He used back... to bring cardboard with a stamp. Well, yeah, there was an earlier version yeah. of it as well, where it was just a CDR in a jewel mm. case. Mm. Anyway, I my noise box label had kind of run out of steam because it was the late nineties. Mm. There was a dip in sales, mm. physical sales, noticeable across the sort of indie market and um, we Tim came to me and said we've got this idea about having a label Mm -hmm. where we don't make up 500 copies or a thousand copies or something we burn stuff to order as and when somebody wants Mm. a copy and I thought that's quite a clever idea and we put it in a generic brown cardboard sleeve with a rubber stamped Mm. cover and um, post it to people and they order it online, which was there were other people doing similar things, but not yeah not not many. And I thought, yeah, that sounds a great idea. 
because I, you know, I was still in the process of making five hundred or a thousand or something, yeah. and hoping you were going to sell, sell them. Um, and it's called Burning Shed because we we were burning CDs mm-hmm. or CDRs, and we were punning on um, a no man's song called Back to the Burning Shed. Back to the Burning Shed, an ambient track, if I remember yes, correctly. Yeah, that's right. I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> You've got everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the kind of idea. Mm. So there were three of us involved. Tim knew all the art. So this is another thing for your business mm-hmm. students, which is an important thing, is if you're going to do this kind of thing, having people with different, slightly different skills who can complement mm. each other. And we were lucky <clears> that the three of us... It, you know, it all worked. It worked well. Tim knew all the artists, yeah, and, and had all the connections. Peter Childers, who now works with Brian Eno, is a website web designer, yeah. a coder. He'd been working at Play.com, which might not mean anything mm. to your students, but at the time was quite groundbreaking yeah. online mail order company. And so he knew how to build a website and do e-commerce, and. I knew how to make the discs, and I'd had by that point ten years of running a business, so mm. I knew how to do yeah all the business and logistics side of things. So between us, we all kind of yeah you know kind of worked. Yeah, great. So, and that was almost twenty years ago. Yeah, that's gone fast. <laughs> yes, it has. Yeah, when it started off. It was. It was uh, a little small add-on to all the other stuff I was doing. Mm. And then it's, over the years, it's kind of completely overtaken. Mm. Um, so Noisebox used to be my main source of income. And Burning Shed was this mm. little thing I would do for yeah. an hour a day, mm. maybe, mm. you know, two hours a day. And I was, I would post the things out. Yeah. I'd make the discs up. I'd go to the post office and put mm. the stamps on. Uh, and now there's ten of us employed mm. here doing it. Yeah. So, for the sake of my students, can you just explain what does music distribution mean? Because yeah. it, that distribution is often either misunderstood or yeah. just ignored. It's a, it's a really bad term <clears throat> in a funny way. Yeah. Um, traditionally, it, what it meant was record labels would give their... Uh, well, you've got to get stuff into the shops, or mm. traditionally. Uh, HMV, Virgin, whatever the shops, high street stores mm. were. Uh, independent record shops. So how does a record label get its CDs or vinyl or whatever into those shops? Well, they were a middleman companies called distributors, distribution Mm. companies. In the pre-punk and new wave days, they used to be sort of run by the major labels as well. So they would be distributing their Mm. own products into those stores. And as part of punk, and that came out of rough trade, was the cart what was called the cartel, which was a series of regional companies around the UK mm. who clubbed together and helped small independent labels get their seven inch singles into Sound Clash in Norwich yeah. or, you know, some tiny little shop mm. in Glasgow. Now, obviously the internet's changed all of that. Mm. So nowadays there are still distribution companies doing that to get physical product mm. into shops and but now they also those distributors are supplying online shops yeah. as well so amazon hmv online mm. uh, ourselves because we buy a lot of stuff in and sell it mm. um 
markets and over the years distribution companies come and go because it's a bit of a funny business um, now there are well there's, there's lots of them but there's a few major players and one of the biggest ones is an independent company called proper mm. who over the last three four five years have grown amazingly large and probably at some point in the next three or four years we'll have some spectacular mm. <laughs> bust because they'll overreach themselves because that's the way these things seem to seem to work so distribution kind of means on nowadays on the one hand getting stuff into shops physical and online shops mm -hmm. and on the other and then it also means selling stuff direct to fans and customers yeah um, so it's become a catch-all phrase to cover mm. getting music physical or digital to the end customer yeah. or fan, however you want to put it. Mm. So um, Burning Shed, the idea is it's um, run by... Because the website says, you know, it's, it's kind of run by um, artists, for artists, artists for artists. Can you just yeah. explain the, the, that concept? Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, well, I'm sure you've covered on the course mm. uh, the history of terrible contracts for musicians over the years and yeah. bad royalty rates and stuff like that. So one of the things we decided to do as musicians was that when we first started and we were releasing albums by uh, Bass Communion or Hugh mm. Hopper who was in Soft Machine and we would say to them we're going to sell this album for £10 including VAT mm -hmm. which means after the VAT after you pay the VAT to the government there's £8 we allowed about a pound roughly for £1.50 for manufacturing whatever mm -hmm. it was whatever was left after that we split 50-50 so Bernie Shed had 50% and the artist yeah. had 50%. Most, most recording contracts where the label is taking all the risk in inverted mm. commas, um, the artists may be getting 20% wow. tops mm. and the record companies keeping 80%. And on major label contracts out of that, <laughs> the money that comes in, the expenses like paying the producer, mm. paying for manufacturing, paying for videos paying for a limo to pick you up and take you to some <laughs> crappy awards ceremony uh, well a lot of major label artists don't realize this all of that is coming out of their 20 percent mm. not the record labels 80 percent wow so oh one of the another driving thing for a driving force in punk and new wave way of thinking was that contracts changed a lot and a lot of independent labels were were splitting profits 50 50 mm. with artists so that's kind of where we took our inspiration from it always seemed to yeah. be the um fairest and most logical way so that's one way where we we try mm. to do right by the artists and another way that and that's when we're physically mm. paying for things and releasing them which we yeah we, maybe we'll come on to this we are we do a variety of different things in different ways but um Another way is where we run the official store for a band. Um, so we might buy records in from their, their record label, mm -hmm. via them or via <coughs> the distribution company, yeah. and we sell them on the band's official web sh shop. 
Mm-hmm. So you've gone to jethrotoll.com yeah. or whatever. Um, because we're listing it on their shop and doing, we're taking the risk of buying the stuff in, but we're using their branding yeah. logo and everything. Um, we give a percentage of our profit to the band. So they're getting a royalty from the record mm-hmm. company and then they're earning a bit more on top. So buying it from the official, their official yeah. store through us means the artist gets more money. Mm. So that's our thinking. So that brings me on to streaming, yeah. um, because you're talking about um, you know, artist royalties, mm. and twenty percent, you know, is amazing when you compare the kind of what they're doing with things like Spotify. Well, this is the problem: is that a lot of artists are historically on contracts <clears throat> where it the, the contract will say something along the lines of you'll get uh, a royalty of fifteen, eighteen, twenty percent, mm-hmm. whatever it is, on. The existing format, i.e., at the time, might have been vinyl, might have yeah. been CDs, and um, and the word will be something like any other formats that may be created in perpetuity. Oh wow! So any other new mm. formats that come along, you'll still get the same royalty rate. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, of course, on a stream, it's not that streaming is necessarily a problem as a mm-hmm. way of consuming music or listening to music or whatever. Yeah. But the problem is that Spotify, for example, will set an amount of money they're going to pay for a stream. The record label take the big, biggest chunk of that. Yeah. And then again, the artist is getting a small percentage mm. of it. And that is a tiny percentage of a tiny amount of money mm. for every stream, which is why you see these horror stories of people who've had you know, X million streams, mm. but still only earning yeah. tiny amounts of money. It is going to change because obviously n- newer artists are, mm. are much more aware that streaming is the, going to be a bigger thing. So their managers and agents will be negotiating better contracts for them. Right. But ultimately, the answer is that streaming platforms like Apple and um, Spotify and the others, all the others, Amazon, YouTube, need to be forced to pay better royalties yeah. per stream part of the problem with Spotify is they've now gaining a bit like Amazon or Dyson or mm. all these kind of, they get that kind of branding thing and they become the dominant thing Yeah, and a lot of the shareholders within Spotify are the major labels so they're right. on both oh, ends so okay. although Spotify has lost money like, mm. like with Amazon they lose money for loads of mm. years because it's until they become the dominant thing in the market and then yeah you know they're the only go-to place and hopefully the investors hope that that's the point in which they will start making money mm. so um in the last 10 years maybe more mm-hmm. vinyl seems to have become popular again which for somebody my age feels amazing yeah and yeah. um you know I'm very glad it's come back and mm. uh, still love buying records mm. what do you think has um um, kind of made that happen what kind of things have happened do you think that have made people think actually I'm going to go back to vinyl it's a couple of things really it's, it's um, we, we always said when we I'm trying to think what year it would have been now 10-15 years ago we said um, you know people were predicting the death of the CD yeah. thing and the death of physical formats then, and they're still doing it now. Mm. 
but people like to own something physical people like the packaging people like what you know yeah owning something and as we always say you can't sell a second hand download <laughs> or yeah. a second hand stream now yeah um people are collectors mm. by nature aren't they but, you know people, everybody likes having certain things um be that books or I mean, it used to be mm. DVDs, but of course that mm. Blu-rays, but that's kind of gone down the pan a bit. But anyway, um, we always said nicely packaged things will sell. So we used to yeah. feed this back to the people we dealt with, and say if you you know if you put this in a deluxe edition, or you mm. put this in a don't just do a CD in a ball and jewel case. Yeah, put it in a nice digi pack or a digi book or you know a mm. deluxe edition, people will still want to buy it the physical thing um and that kind of fed through into the vinyl thing as well so there'd always been mm. there's never been a time when vinyl wasn't was selling for us mm. 2008 in particular we took over running a label called peaceville it's a heavy metal label uh, really, you know, really hard mm -hmm. doom metal label and they started a program of reissuing their stuff on vinyl in nicely packaged gatefold sleeves, yeah. heavyweight vinyl, numbered limited mm. editions, as we sort of suggested to them, and people wanted to buy them. And then, even at that point, um, vinyl was was about thirty percent of everything we were selling at the time. Yeah, and it's it's probably fifty percent of everything wow. we sell now, roughly. Mm. It's still a, a big, big chunk. Mm. Um, but people, I would so I would attribute it to nice packaging and vinyl. People like the sleeves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People um, like to collect them, and people like you know a limited edition coloured vinyl version. I'm going to be the one of the five hundred mm. people or a thousand mm. people who've got that, um, and it, it just kind of keeps fans interested, I suppose. Mm. And then some people will argue that sonically they're better to listen to. Mm -hmm. That kind of um, is true up to a point because it depends yeah. on the cut and it depends on the pressing and it mm -hmm. depends what you're playing it on. So if you're playing it on some crappy little suitcase yeah. <laughs> thing, turns yeah. thing, it's never, it doesn't matter what it is, it's never going to sound mm. great. Yeah, I think a couple of my students have, have got one of those with kind of yeah. inbuilt speakers. Yeah. And it's just not going to do the record justice. It's, no, it, it's a kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a slightly pointless exercise, really. Mm. Um, but then that's fine. You know, people can people are listening to music and yeah. it doesn't really matter what you're listening to mm. it on. But it's not going to be a lot better than listening to it on your, on your phone mm. walking down the street, you know. Yeah. So, um, and certain albums of certain eras will sound better on vinyl. Yeah. So 70s albums recorded on analogue mm. equipment in the right mm. setting um, benefit from vinyl playing whereas certain 80s albums recorded digitally no matter what you do with the mastering is never going to and they mm. probably never quite sound as good as those war the warmness of mm. the analog things from the 70s these days recording techniques are very good at emulating those 70s yeah. sounds and so i think you know Pretty much everything can sound good on vinyl mm. if you cut it right or if you have yeah. it mastered properly. Um, but there was a terrible thing in the 80s where the record labels didn't really care much about vinyl. They were all about the mm. CD. So they 
they weren't concentrating on the quality of the, the vinyl. Um, there were problems with the supply of plastic, and mm. you know, so they were using very lightweight vinyl. Yeah, I've got loads of really some thin, thin records. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to a hi-fi evening uh, demonstration thing mm. locally here in Norfolk at a shop, and there was about 10, 15 people there, and he played, they were playing back on these amazing system which was probably about twenty thousand pounds mm. worth of music system um all tracks from 1973 mm. of, of albums that are, tracks from albums that have come out in 1973 yeah. some of them sounded absolutely amazing and some of them which were 1980s pressings of for example Leonard skin and freebird <laughs> yeah is, it was dreadful it sounded awful um because because it was a bad pressing and a bad mm. cut. So vinyl quality is dependent, mm. I suppose. That's the short, that's the long answer. It wasn't a short yeah, answer. Yeah, <laughs> great. I think it's also about the listening experience as well. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I did a podcast recently, which I called Deep Listening. Because yeah. I was asking my students about their own music habits. Yeah. And so many of them, um, it came across to me that actually music has become something much more tertiary in the background. Yeah. And, you know, I love Definitely. listening to an album and sitting down and actually, you know... I, I like listening to an album from start to finish, even if... It, and and well, the great part about that is you had this roughly the same age as mm. me. You'd come home from the shop, and maybe yeah. your students don't have this experience, that you'd come home mm. with the album. Mm. That was your thing you were going to buy this week. You'd put it on, you'd think... You get well, that's a bit of a tough track. Yeah, on, sometimes on side, it, it, you have to really two, work for track, it. Track, track yeah, two, oh, that's a bit of a filler. Yeah, you know, ten plays later, that's your favourite track yeah. on the album because it was it's a faff to get up and skip a track. Mm. So you you were forced to listen to the whole. If a you can't carry it around with you particularly. Yeah, and b you you kind of forced to listen to the whole thing in one go. Mm. Um. That's not to say I'm not a fan of. I loved it when cassettes came along, and yeah. I, uh, particularly what I mean by that is Walkmans, so you could listen yeah. to stuff on the bus. Or, or I've it. still got all my Talking Heads cassettes. Yeah, I've I still, never got I've rid still of got them. All my cassettes yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the warehouse. Yeah, um, and I've got. I've, you know, I, I rarely get rid of anything, mm. LPs or CDs or yeah. whatever. Um, but CD, you know, and I'm a big fan of CDs too, because I hated playing vinyl and thinking every time I play this thing, I've, I've paid money for this, and every time I play it, I'm degrading it. You know, yeah. it's, it's slowly getting worse. Mm. So I go back and play some of my albums from the early yeah. '80s, and it's uh, they're, they're terrible condition because I didn't <laughs> have a great stylus at the time. Yeah. And, um, so I'd rather play the CD version of it. Mm. So I'm not a vinyl snob. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, um, what do you think um, the future of the music industry will look like? Because it's gone through so many changes over the years, mm. you know, in in my lifetime. And yeah, will streaming? Well, I think we're at a dangerous point, which I suppose people will always yeah. say that at any point in the music, you know, history. But. Uh, streaming, and as I said before, it's it's not that it's a bad thing, mm. but it's very hard for independent uh, musicians, yeah. people who don't sell an awful lot, don't do a lot of live work, to make a living just mm. from streaming. So if 
physical music dies out completely, as you know, I'm sure many of the major labels would like it to because it's a faff for them, um, then people who don't get X million streams mm-hmm. aren't going to be able to afford to make music anymore. Well, they can make it, but they're not going to be able to get yeah. it. Up, they're not going to be able to put it up on the platforms and get people to listen to it. And you've still got exactly the same problem with streaming as you had uh, just with the internet and before that, when when people were putting singles out, hundred there were you know hundreds of singles coming out every single week. How do you get people to listen to your stuff as opposed yeah. to something else? So, and you've kind of multiplied that by that the thousands down to streaming because it's mm. it's limitless. There's no yeah. stuff can just come out. Anything can come out. So in one way, that's great because it democratizes the whole thing and there's mm-hmm. no there's no gatekeepers to it anyone can pay to put their album up on the streaming services downside is anyone can pay to put their album up on the streaming services yeah. <laughs> so there's no quality filter or yeah i mean so many of my students don't I mean, they just listen to playlists well and that well there's the gatekeeper they're they're, mm. they're the they are now like radio one playlist yeah people used to be in the 60s, 70s, and mm. 80s, whoever, whoever's putting together those playlists, are the ones effectively moderating what is mm. going to be successful, and so you're trying to get their attention to get you get your one of your one of your songs onto a playlist. Yeah. And most streaming artists, which I had this conversation with uh, Stephen Wilson, and he was saying it that you you. If you notice, like the police or somebody, mm-hmm. there's two or three songs which have been streamed millions and zillions of yeah. times, and then all the album tracks, are, you know, yeah. right down, mm-hmm. and almost every major artist you can, it's it's one song, it's two songs, mm. or if you're lucky, you know, the bigger stars, maybe half an album's worth. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a funny old game, and that's because those tracks are being picked up on playlists. Yeah. And who controls the playlists? Well, we already had well, many scandals about people paying other people to mm. put them on these playlists right. because they're influencers and mm. they're. Uh, um, and we're back to payola, yeah. which I'm sure your students have studied from yeah. the 1950s and 60s. Payola, yeah. Yeah. So, in many ways, everything stays the same. Everything changes. <laughs> everything, everything stays the same. same. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, there's a lot. It, that's what's interesting about the music industry. It's never going to go away. People like mm. there's always going to be something new, mm. even though there's only eight notes. We still haven't run out of mm. ideas, which is great. Um, but it's it's going through a phase. Every now and then, you go mm. through a little phase where things change slightly, and everybody has to get used to the new rules. Mm. And we're kind of in that phase at the moment mm. and the major labels would rather if they had their way they'd rather just you know they put out the new Harry Styles album there is no CD or vinyl version mm-hmm. of it because it costs money to make them you've got to put them in a warehouse you've got to ship them around the world you've got people then sending them back because they're faulty yeah. um, you've got all these aggro with physical property, properties instead they can just press a button upload it onto the streaming services say it's out have a yeah. listen brilliant it's free you know as far as they're mm. concerned 
Um, all they're going to spend the money on then is promotion and making sure you listen to it. Yeah. Um, the, the stupidity behind that is that there are there's a whole bunch of people who still want to buy physical things. Mm. So they know they have to kind of do both at the moment. And as long as they're doing both, that's fine. But um, keeping them, how long they will keep doing that as a business model is very tricky. So what do you think is uh, for the future of Burning Shed then for the next uh, oh. for the next 20 years? <laughs> I don't know about 20 years, but uh, uh, I, at the moment we are we're one of a handful of companies I suppose still growing in the face of a shrinking yeah. physical market um, it's hard to know it's hard to know. our customer base is probably slightly older you know mm -hmm. and teenagers and 20 year olds are not buying as much physical stuff because because yeah. it's that's just not the way they listen, consume or listen to music you know? I mean there are some yeah, that's what. The, absolutely, yeah. of course there are. Yeah. Um, but but they haven't got that. They haven't been brought up like we did on that bug mm. of physical collection mm. and, and yeah. you know yeah. having the object. It just doesn't. Some of them will have that thing mm. because of this human nature to collect stuff, but not everybody and not in the numbers. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's hard to predict really how it will go over the next 10 years but at the moment I don't see any decline in people wanting the physical side yeah. of music and hopefully artists and management and everybody collectively mm -hmm. will stand up and say the, the, the way we're paying people to make music mm. has got to change slightly because you, I don't know, you, you, students might know or might not know when CDs came in, record companies, although they had these contracts with Final saying, you know, whatever formats may come in the future, you know, yeah. you'll get the same rate. They tried to argue that, um, oh, this is a new format and it's really expensive, so we have to give you a lower royalty rate oh. on these. And then obviously there was a yeah. there was a kickback from the from the artists who said, no, hang on a second, you, you know, mm. that's not right. Um, which eventually the artists won, mm. but it's very hard. Very hard for a lot of artists. If you, it's all right if you're an established artist mm. who sold millions of albums to renegotiate your contract every now and again. It's not so easy if you're a band signing a new contract, and you, of course, you're just desperate to have a record deal. Yeah, you sign practically anything, no matter if your lawyer tells you it's awful. So. Uh, yeah. So, um, would you have any advice to any of my students who want to start a band and become musicians? Do you think they should do it for the for the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll? Is there any? Well, I hope so. Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, do it. Yes, definitely. Um, I think you've got to do it because you want to do it and it's fun, and don't do it because you think. I want, you know, uh, it's a career move, in mm. the commas. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't make a career out of it. And if if that's what you really want to do, you've got to be incredibly driven and um, and really go for it. And that's fine. Yeah. But at the same time, enjoy it as 
because the mm. likelihood of you so you know making a living out of it it's probably as hard now as it was back then yeah but if you can carve out a little niche like what we've done mm. it's, it's possible yeah it's possible okay yeah. um i'm just gonna ask you a couple of kind of personal music questions because mm -hmm. um, i always ask ask people okay. this um <clears throat> if you get to name the greatest your favorite greatest album of all time what would you go with I usually say the Blue Nile, walk across the rooftops. Beautiful choice. Yeah. Beautiful. Just because it was the first time I heard it, I just couldn't believe. It was so different to other stuff that was around. Yeah. Come out at the time, I bought. I heard the singles on the radio. I bought the singles and heard the. Yeah. Got the album, and um, was absolutely just blown away. It was it. kind of like moving music but it was electronic so it didn't really make sense how yes, could they exactly. make beautiful and weird noises coming yeah. in and out yeah because it was partly made as a demonstration record for lynn turntables yeah. um so they were doing deliberately doing mm. weird things with the stereo mm. sonically making it as beautiful and pristine yeah. as they could so when you listen to our headphones you think well what's that you know some, yeah. something banging yeah. in your right eardrum and do you have any um, guilty pleasures? Not that music should be a guilty pleasure. I like a lot of pop stuff, and um, there's stuff I won't play in the office because I feel, you know, I don't <laughs> want to be the uh, uncool kid. Oh, okay. But um, oh, I, can't, I can't give you a specific, but a lot of the stuff I like is overproduced 80s stuff, yeah. you know, or yeah. Scottish, terrible Scottish bands from the 80s, I suppose, who skewer things, which various people would turn their noses up at, I guess. But so, so I, I, I like a whole wide range of, of stuff. Well, well, I'll tell you what, my, my wife bought recently, mm, which I was like, yeah. saying for you, is, are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, spell songs. It's a folk oh, music okay. thing. It's um, Robert McFarlane. Uh, it's a poet, mm. writer, and um, the illustrated. Oh, God, so Julian Morris. I can't. Remember, but you know, my wife's really keen on it as well. It's just a lovely sort of folk. Great. Um, based on uh, a book, which they. She illustrated, he wrote the words for, mm. which they crowdfunded to get a copy into every um, junior school in the country. Wow. And a bunch of musicians yeah. wrote, wrote, a, wrote an album around mm. the themes in, the, in it. And they did a... Wonderful. It's, yeah, it's a really nice, yeah. really good album. Well, um, Pete, thank you so much That's for being right. part of the podcast. Wonderful. That's all right. Well, that's it for this episode of Reunification. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Pete Morgan from Burning Shed. You can check out um, their um, records and music by going to their website, burningshed.co.uk, and you can find them all over the social media and everything like that. Um, so I'm back to work on Monday, and I shall be bringing back some essays from um, the first year film group, some really good work this year so that's quite exciting 
Oh, before I go, let me just have a quick shout-out to Luke Atkinson, um, who is a fan of the podcast. Uh, thank you for your support. Hope you're doing well. And um, I will be speaking to you all very soon. That's all for me. And as always, take care of yourselves and each other. Oh, and stay dry, because apparently we're getting a month of rain.